Everybody and welcome back to Babu's Freaking Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us in our galaxy far, far away. My name is Grandmoff Mark Valentine, and as always, I am so honored that you are joining us here today. I am joined by my co-host Brian Porkins Lee. Brian, what is up? Hey, everyone. And rounding out our Jedi Council is none other than Mike Kiati Ruby. Mike, may the Force be with you. Ah, uh, you may fire when ready. <laughs> and also with you. Uh, on today's episode, we are finally getting into the nitty gritty and we are discussing The Last Jedi in what we are calling our Star Wars court. Bonk, bonk. <laughs> I, I wasn't ready. You didn't tell me to be ready. Well, I panicked. Well, I panicked, but then I handled it. Uh, so we're finally going to get a chance to discuss our biases and our take on The Last Jedi and break down the film. What worked for us, what didn't give us our constructive criticisms, but as always, we are a non-toxic podcast, so we're not here to rip the film in as much as we're here to tell you and share with you what we enjoy about the film and maybe give you an opportunity to change your perspective and to look at it, as Obi-Wan says, from another point of view. So, gentlemen, uh, not a lot of Star Wars substantial stuff this week a lot of discussion circulating around the mandalorian let's quickly get to it uh discussions focusing on season four and beyond of the mandalorian uh, almost all of the discussions pointing towards the mandalorian will be rebranded and while the story of din Djarin may continue and the mandoverse may continue post season four much like Bad Batch is the next season of The Clone Wars, which is essentially what we got. It looks like they're going to be doing something similar with The Mandalorian. Are you in for that, or do you want the serial week-by-week bounties and the, the homages to various types of, of film and television series? So when you say season four, are we talking like an additional two seasons on top of what we already have before this happens? Uh, so... As of right now, the moniker The Mandalorian is going to be for seasons three and four. Okay. Beyond that, there's been speculation that while the story of Din Djarin is going to continue, or the story of the Mandoverse will continue, it's not going to be The Mandalorian. They're going to rebrand it and rename it. This is where I thought we were headed, actually, after the end of season two. I thought with the Book of Boba Fett, that was going to tell the story of Boba Fett and everything else happening there. But The Mandalorian has become synonymous for the Grogu show, the Baby Yoda show. People are tuning in to see Baby Yoda. Once we get into season three of The Mandalorian and Grogu's nowhere to be found, I think people are going to really struggle with that. And that's why I thought 
that the story of Din Djarin was actually going to continue in Rangers of the New Republic and Ahsoka anyway. So the fact that Mandalorian was coming back for a season three even surprised me after the finale of season two. So I'm, I'm cool with it. Like, I don't want the character to go away. I want to continue exploring this part of the timeline because we haven't done enough of that. Um, I hope we don't have to feel the need to constantly check in with Grogu every second of every episode of, of the Mandalorian. I do hope we see him again, but I'm, I'm, I'm okay if we don't see him for a little while, but this is kind of what I expected anyway. Mike, are you in for a rebranding and, and a continuation of the story, even if it doesn't have Pedro Pascal and Din Djarin? I, if it's made with the same level of storytelling and the same level of character, then 110%. But just if you're going to make something else, make something else and call it something else. But don't, don't try and call it The Mandalorian. The whole point is that The Mandalorian is about Mandalorian bounty hunter making his way through the galaxy and... I don't feel like the show needs to be about Grogu. Um, it's about Din Djarin's growth and understanding, A, where he fits in this whole universe as, a, as part of a people who have been totally separated and factioned and, and placed across the galaxy without anything holding them together. And I think that actually, you know, as much as the, the, the season two finale closes the narrative with Grogu and uh, you know, that there's a, that's a big chapter closing. I'm actually really excited to see what this looks like when we're telling the Mandalorian story without Grogu. And it actually steps more into, all right, well, he, he learned what it is to care about another human being and embrace someone, his family. And now what is his journey to becoming a true Mandalorian and perhaps reunifying the people of Mandalore? Because now technically we're having the dark saber. He's, He's the guy in charge. Yeah. See, and that's what I like about season three and four is now that we've kind of shed baby Yoda or Grogu is now the hero's journey can really start to take shape that let's, let's face it. And let's be completely honest. We're all in for season one. I mean, I love season one in the Mandalorian, but going back and watching it, it pales in comparison to the narratives that we were getting in the storylines that we were getting in season two. Once I felt like we were, you know, we, we got rid of the shackles of, okay, this is our Western episode. Okay, this is our homage to Samurai. Okay, this is, I felt like it freed up the writers to really construct a, a very beautiful universe. And if we continue on that, it's going to be cool to see Din Djarin assume the mantle of, of a leader. I think it frees up other cool characters that I would love to see continually fleshed out like Bo-Katan. I would like to see this era, as Brian just said, where the Empire is on the rise or the First Order is on the rise and see what happens in that vacuum when the Empire is gone and seeing all of these various forces vying for control of the universe. It, it, to me, it's more compelling to continue the universe without shackling with the title of the Mandalorian. And like Brian said, he hit like everything he said. I, I couldn't agree with more. I thought season two would effectively be the end of that. Uh, I'd, I'd be okay if seasons three and four stray from what we already know into, hey, let's just world build and then let's get a Rangers of the New Republic. Let's, I'm, I'm psyched for the Book of Boba Fett because we have another speculation this week, which came out. Nothing is, of course, substantiated because we don't have firm casting news, but there have been tremendous rumblings that we are going to get a live action Cad Bane in December, gentlemen. You know how I feel about this. I know how Brian feels about this. He is one of our favorites. 
if this is the route that the Mandoverse is going, sign me up, please. I, yeah, and I mean, I know we're getting Book of Boba Fett in December. Hawkeye premieres on November 24th, just before Thanksgiving. So the way they're going to structure Disney Plus, I bet we do not get Book of Boba Fett until Christmas time, um, maybe even just right after Christmas. So it's going to be December, but barely, just so there's hardly any overlap with Hawkeye so they can get the most out of your Disney Plus subscriptions. But uh, I mean, if Cad Bane's showing up, I'm all for it. I hope we spend a, I hope we structure this. And with it being called the book of Boba Fett, I, I think we're going to be advancing the story with him as the crime boss, the new Jabba uh, on Tatooine. But we're going to be telling stories and it's easy to do because you have a guy in armor. You don't have to de-age him. You don't have to do any of this. So we're going to be telling stories of even before Sarlacc Pit and, and Han Solo and everything else. But post Clone Wars up until Empire Strikes Back and then how he escaped the Scar- Sarlacc Pit. And everything that happened in between there, I want a complete book of Boba Fett story from his life. And I expect that that's what we're getting. And you can't tell the story of Boba Fett without Cad Bane. I also don't think you can tell the story without Asajj Ventress. And that's what I want. Oh, man. You just gave me the chills. But hair just stood up on my arm right there when you said that. I would love that. So, guys, the future is very bright of Star Wars. It's why I'm really excited to be doing this podcast. And really, like, it is it is a golden era and a, and a just an amazing time to be alive. Again, Mike and I are young enough that we went so many years without new Star Wars that we had to write those fictions in our head. We had to create the stories of Luke and Boba Fett and the extended universe with our toys on our living room floor. Now we don't have to do that anymore. And might I also add, we didn't have Lego sets that had Star Wars characters, Mike. No, we, we had, had to make up our own X-Wings. We, we, made had, up we, had, we had to find the pieces that kind of made the wings go like this. Yes. Yeah. So kids um, don't know the hardships of walking uphill both ways to school in the snow with no cardboard shoes. We had that. Yeah, we had that. Um, <laughs> I'd also be remiss if we didn't bring up, uh, they released some of the voice casting for Visions. Yes, they did which is fantastic. So uh, National Treasure, uh, David Harbour is a voice. Uh, NPH, Neil Patrick Harris, providing voice. Uh, Alison Brie, Lucy Liu, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Bobby Moynihan. Um, Boba Fett is apparently going to be in one of the episodes. We're getting Tamora in an episode called Tatooine Rhapsody. Well, he was um, in or at least the Slave One, or no? Oh, I'm I'm so sorry. The fire spray. The fire was spray in, was in the uh, trailer for. Hey, can we get a reaction to that? Let's talk happy. about that. Do you, well, it do is you apparently that. Well, apparently the ship is still called the Slave One. It just happens to be a fire spray class starship or whatever. You know, the same way as the Millennium Falcon is a Corellian YT freighter. So, I don't understand the outrage to that. We grew up with the the call sign of that ship was Slave One. Uh, I never once ever thought that that was anything offensive. I never saw that name as being particularly, you know, lo- loaded with any kind of, you know, issue. I I don't understand this. Uh, this desire to just rename everything that has, you know, a, a controversial title to it. It's, I don't, I don't get it. I just don't understand it. 
I, th- I, I, people were like flipping, flipping, you know what on the internet. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, did we really have to rename this ship? Was, was that really the focus? I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of on both sides of it. And again, I'm, I'm not Mr. Up in arms about, about many things. I will still continuously call it the slave one because that's just what I've called it for years and years and years. And I, I don't think I'll ever break that. My, my UCS Lego set says slave one still on it. That was pre name change at the same time. I'm also not going to go up in arms on the internet and freak out because they decided to change the name over something like it's just, that's not worth spending my effort. Well, it's not. I mean, of all of the, of all of the outrage to have in the world, I mean, that's, it's feigned outrage at best. I, it's such a nothing burger. Yeah, to your point, I don't think like I I honestly didn't know that it was the the fire spray like a YT model freighter like the Millennium Falcon. I didn't know that that was even still the name. So yeah, I, I didn't know that was their plan. Again, I I I I care, but I don't care at the same time. Well, if I could be equally honest on both ends, I can't understand people that spent enough time perseverating over the fact that it was called slave one and being bothered enough to change it or the other side of people that when it actually gets changed, that it's worth getting that upset and ruining your life. I mean, correct. It's not, it really isn't making much of a, a change to the universe itself. And us old schoolers, I'm going to, it's always going to be slave one to me. I'm sorry. Like I, and I don't find myself to be offensive or, you know, or a jerk by not calling it the fire spray moving forward. It's, I just don't understand. Like, we really needed a movement to rename Boba's Fett ship. So, if I'm a, if I'm a jerk and you want to cancel me, you can always reach out. Yeah, reach out to us on our socials. You're more than welcome to clap at me, people. Uh, you're more you're more than welcome. I want all the smoke, guys. I want all the smoke. Can can can, can we cancel you using that verbiage? What's that? The um, smoke. All the smoke. Yeah, I want all of it. And it and, and and clapping back at you. So, hey, I, if if nothing else, I'm I'm always pushing buttons in this chair, whether it's on Diz Life or here at Bobby's Podcast or even on Earth's Mightiest Weirdos. It's kind of what I'm known for. It's it's the hot take. All right, gentlemen, let's get into Star Wars core and let's start with first off where we stand. We are not an unbiased jury here. We should be very clear and upfront about this. Whereas most people will get their day in court. And the the whole idea is to select a jury that does not have any bias or any familiarity with the case. That is not us. Guys, let me start this because I think I am very different from the two of you. Whereas, again, I apologize if I'm putting words in anyone's mouth. You can always correct me if I'm wrong. But my interpretation of the two of you is that you are uh, were enamored with The Last Jedi. You love the film. Mike knows this, that for many, many years, really until the rise of Skywalker, I was very upset about this movie. I came at this movie constantly. I was very toxic, I should say, about this film. Uh, I was very upset with the direction that it took. I did not like being left on the hook with this story and the story arc until the rise of Skywalker came out. So this originally was the worst movie for me, I was not a fan. I was very upset with Ryan Johnson. I was very upset with the direction that the narrative took. I'm going to get into some of the things that originally I felt about the film. Some of them I still do feel, but I've 
We're given many things. So I think it's important for everyone to understand that I am the Debbie Downer of this episode when it comes to The Last Jedi. So the things that I'm going to say, you should understand they are framed from a guy that did not like this movie. I was that toxic dude in your Facebook group that was coming after The Last Jedi hard. So that is, that's where I come from on this movie. Mike, where in, in the Skywalker saga, nine films, where does this rank for, for you? I will say for me, it's like number five. Like it's not my favorite Skywalker saga film. It's, it's middle of the road for me, but I really, really like it. Yeah. It's top five. If I, if I recall one of our early episodes, um, when we, when we did our rankings, it's, it's way up there for me. Okay. Sounds good. And like yeah. I said, I know that Mike and I could not have disagreed about this more over the years. I left the theater after seeing Last Jedi shook. I, w- I, was, I was physically on edge for the rest of the day after having had such a visceral reaction to the film. I, I, it was the first thing I did in the day. I woke up. I went to an 8.30 screening. I was in Manhattan on business. I got up and I went to the theater and I was the first one at the door because that's the nerd I am. And I got in, I got my seat. And the very first thing I did on that day was watch Last Jedi. And I could not shake it even after I went into the office later in the day at all. I was on such a roller coaster with it. I was pins and needles wondering what was going to happen. There was so much to take in with this movie. I, 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 I will flat out say that I think it is the best shot Star Wars movie of, of, I will of give all you time. That. I will give it you that. The most, it is the most visually arresting. It is the most thematically consistent from a visual perspective. I think the action scenes are iconic and up there with some of the best. I think some of the individual shots that we get are some of the most compelling filmmaking of any of them. The, I think the storytelling, whether you like some of the choices or not, it is a tight script. Everything that gets set up gets paid off. All of the characters have very clean and clear arcs. I loved that it bucked convention with so many different things and everything that you expected, it undercut in so many different ways. Um, I, every, even, the, the, even the things that I kind of like chuckled at in it that I was not totally on board with from the beginning, I was like, you know what? Doesn't matter because the rest of the experience just totally left me rattled. Um, in in the good sense of rattled, I was so emotionally invested um, and found the same way as we all I think I think had with Luke when he appeared in the hallway on the Mandalorian. Tears on instinct streaming out of my eyes when John Williams' score plays with the Falcon going through the going through all the crevices on crate, like when it's leaving the Death Star and Return of the Jedi. I was shook. Um, I love The Last Jedi. Well, again, you're, yeah, and you're a Return of the Jedi fan, and I know you, gr- we grew up together, so I know that them exiting the Death Star and Lando making the run out the Death Star with Wedge is like one of the most iconic moments for you. So I can imagine that moment having a lot of sentimentality and you did in fairness, it's crazy that here we are years later and you said that pretty much verbatim as one of the things that really got you emotional. And I was there. I know. Cause I was there and it has not changed all these years and you just haven't changed. It's still, it's still there for you. No. Uh, Brian, how, where do you come on this one? Where, where does this fall for you? Um, I, 
I actually I like the Force Awakens more than it. I I just liked I just enjoyed that movie experience more even going back and watching it. I think I prefer the Force Awakens by just a little bit. I really really like the Last Jedi. There's a whole lot of stuff in it that I really enjoyed. I enjoyed the story that it set up with Kylo Ren as the supreme leader, which is what made the fact that he turned in, in the Rise of Skywalker so much more frustrating, especially so easily. Um I don't want to draw the line of if you like the last Jedi, you disliked the rise of Skywalker, but for, I like them both to be clear. Now I do not. Um, now I feel like, I mean, and we'll get into this. I feel like that the rise of Skywalker in so many ways complemented for me that, that second act. And I understand a lot of people focus on the retconning that happens in the third episode, but I've uh, we'll, and we'll get into some of these details. I've found a way that I, I feel like they ma- they married each other. There's there are one or two instances that were clear shots at Ryan Johnson, which I have come to maybe not appreciate as time has gone on. Um, but we we'll get into that. We'll get into that. But Can for I- me, the, the compelling story of of Kylo Ren becoming supreme leader and everything else going on there, I feel like. I, I think was extremely compelling storytelling. I think that the duel of the fates that Colin Trevorrow had actually put out there, uh, some stuff that was, I, I just think following through on that story would have made a lot more sense. I just, I don't know. I, I mean, it's star Wars. We, we have constant, you're being redeemed constantly. Like it is, it is what it is. Crosshair Vader, yeah. just everybody in between, but I don't, I, it was just far more compelling to me. The conviction that Kylo Ren had at the end of this film. And that conviction was, was gone in the rise of Skywalker. And we'll talk more about it later on. So before we get into some of the elements of the film itself, I want to get into probably one of the most polarizing aspects of the film itself, which is the filmmaker. And it has become, let's face it online. It's a love or hate thing. Much like Mike just said, he loves what Ryan Johnson did. Do you, and like, where do you fall on this? Uh, he, it's a very, again, polarizing. Is he, would you characterize him as a good steward of the Star Wars franchise? Or would you say, I'm happy with this film. I'm content that I got what I want. Because we know that Ryan Johnson is still, I mean, unless there's some news that I haven't heard of, he still is on the books for three more films, guys, right? He is, and yeah. I, don't, I don't think those films will ever see the light of day. I'm I'm fine like to who am I to determine who's a good steward? As long as you care about the original trilogy and everything else and the prequels. And if you care about star Wars, who am I to tell you what story you should have told? Ultimately, if Lucasfilm decides to make this film, then you were a steward of star Wars with what Mike was talking about, how beautiful it was, the different character arcs. It followed through on everything that it set up. I don't know how you can say it. he was not a good steward just because he took the story in a direction you didn't want it to. Okay, so to but to that end, and I, again, gentlemen, I'm I'm just playing devil's advocate. Don't yell at me. This is just you're fine. You don't need to preface it the whole episode, man. No, that's, that, no, that's, that's, just, that's what this episode is about being the advocate. Just, just for ra- just for radio and argument's sake, the fact that he did subvert so many expectations, the fact that he did take the narrative off on so many tangents and in his own direction. Doesn't that suggest to you that he did not really understand the narrative or understand the community at large? Because not the there's so many community members that their their biggest gripe was, here's a guy that does not understand Star Wars because if he did, he would not have made some of the artistic choices that he did. 
I think that is hogwash. Um, Strong words. uh, Yeah, it's balderdash. Um, I I don't believe that for a second. I I think that he is unfairly being pinned by a number of people who aren't happy that they didn't get what they expected out of the game. And I don't think that that means, and I don't think that means that he doesn't understand star Wars quite the opposite. So I'll, 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 I'll give you a, uh, it may please the court. I'll give you several, I'll give you several reasons why one, the entire purpose of this, of the sequel trilogy was that they were going to choose three directors and let three directors bring their distinct visions to help tell this story. Correct. Yep. So they specifically said from the get go, we're going to give one to JJ. We're going to give one to Ryan. We're going to give one to Colin. And it's their own darn fault. And this is the one criticism I do have of the sequel trilogy that they didn't map the whole thing out because any, any, any brilliant TV show, no matter how many directors are on board, um, Ryan Johnson being one of them who did one of the best episodes of Breaking Bad, if not the best episode of Breaking Bad, they map the whole season out, no matter how many different writers or how many different directors are going to be on board, and they all have a shared vision for what it needs to be that's serving the story. So one, he did the job he was paid for. Two, he gave additional depth in taking the handoff from J.J. So J.J. sets up all of these stories for Finn, Poe, Ray, Kylo, they're all Snoke, like they're all out there. Fans may not like where he took them, but he took them to logical conclusions. I, I don't I don't personally think that there's any that there are any character choices within them that are totally far fetched or unfair. And he understood enough to know that one, let's get John Williams to do maybe one of his best scores of the nine films. Like the music in this makes sense. Every time a theme plays with something, it makes sense and it's good. And you hear the things that are, that that came before it. Um, And, you know, to say that he doesn't get it, you know, I know some people didn't like some of the humor and some of the other things that are there, I think is unfair too. And I, and I I brought, may may it please the court. I I would like to play this into evidence. (laughs) The New York times review of the empire strikes back, which hated the film. And what is amazing is, let me find this line. Um, here we go. I'm not as bothered by the film's lack of resolution as I am about my suspicion that I really don't care. After one has had the fill of, uh, had one's fill of special effects, and after one identifies the source of the facetious banter that passes for wit between Han Solo and Leia, in parentheses, it's straight out of B-picture comedies of the 30s, there isn't a great deal for the eye or the mind to focus on. Ford, as cheerfully nondescript as one could wish a, a comic strip hero to be, and Miss Fisher, um, as sexlessly pretty as the base of a porcelain lamp, become, is it rude to say, tiresome. One finally looks around them and even through them at the decor. Wow. That's my favorite film of all time. You better take all that back. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't say that. You you can take it up with Vincent Kennedy of the New York it's Times. In the record, it's yeah, it's in the record now. The court has it in the record. You can't strike it. We're not going to strike record. Yeah. So Here's, I just so I just want to point out to you that like there is there was as much division within the the critical world and the fandom about Empire as there is about Last Jedi. And my biggest frustration going into the Last Jedi is is since Force Awakens came out, and this was two years later. It's now built up this whole, it's just a retelling of A New Hope, which is kind of what it was meant to do. It was to introduce Star Wars to a new generation. 
then everybody wants, okay, make sure The Last Jedi isn't just a copy of The Empire Strikes Back. It's different, and then everybody loses their minds. Uh, all just gonna, bro, that is so perfect because exactly. I was just going to say, like so many community members flipped out and said, Force Awakens is a reductive new hope, and it's such unoriginal storytelling. Then the one thing that you cannot, you can't, you just cannot come out and say, The Last Jedi is in no way, shape, or form a retread, a retelling, or a reimagining of The Empire Strikes Back. It is. But they do. That's what they get mad because it's not that. Like, people get mad at Ryan Johnson saying he didn't understand Star Wars to his core because the line, I have a bad feeling about this, wasn't in the film, even though it was because that's what GPA says at the very beginning of the film. So then let's. if we could parse then some of those divisive components of the film, because people have again been very vocal and they've said this, 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 and this are evidence that he does not understand star Wars. So if I may again, log into evidence or say, you know, here's maybe the first charge against the film the biggest thing that I, I will say that I continue to have, gentlemen, a problem with is we are left in The Force Awakens of such an amazing cliffhanger of her arriving, meeting Luke. It's the first images that we have had of Luke. Remember, there was no Mandalorian yet. That Mark Hamill is standing there looking sage-like, looking like the Jedi Master, Time has not been kind to him. We can see the struggle in his eyes. And the longing in Daisy Ridley's posture, her the way that she looks at him, she has waited for this moment seemingly her entire life. And she's going to get answers. And then credits roll and it's like, let's go. I'm ready. And we, in essence, open the film with that same moment to only be treated to him grabbing the lightsaber and casually tossing it aside. I understand in some ways and can defend subverting expectations and treating it comically to maybe take the volume down a little bit, but it really bothered a lot of people that Luke is a Jedi through and through. He has a, he has but he has a healthy respect, a healthy enough respect for the force that the first thing that when, when the shrine is burning down and Yoda is showing contempt for the old text, Luke's gut reaction is to go and preserve the ancient maxims and words of the Jedi. So yes, he does have a healthy respect for artifacts. Here he is then throwing the lightsaber essentially over the, the cliffside to say, I have no interest in this weapon. It bothers me. It but really it was, bothers me. But he was hiding on this island with the intent of never being found. If he's just hiding there and he's playing hide-and-go-seek, then he's going to get this lightsaber handed to him. He's going to be happy about it because he wants to be pulled back in. If he doesn't want to be pulled back into the fight, of course his reaction is going to be, get this thing away from me. Mm. Yeah, Mike? I mean, I, I I think one of the memes puts it best. You know, what's the last time he held that lightsaber? There's there a was great a meme that says... It <laughs> was a hand. Did, did you bring the hand, too? Did you find like, the hand? Did you find the hand, too? So, yeah, when, 
all that all that that lightsaber represents to him is everything wrong and destructive that he believed in that ultimately went sour. It's you know it is he, he summarizes it when he's t- when he talks about how for a flicker he considered killing his own nephew and realized that that was not the, that that wasn't the right way. That lightsaber is the thing that that lightsaber. How many younglings did that lightsaber kill? How many Jedi's did that lightsaber kill? Enough that Let it could probably be a Sith holocron at this point. Yeah, I mean that that thing, the the blood stains on on that lightsaber. I mean, it, I think what's wonderful about that moment, and you know, it can it can it can get people PO'd, but boy, if it didn't just suck the oxygen out of the theater when that happened, it did. It, it did. It, it was, was an audible such a gasp. great way, like audible gasps and laughs. And again, and the other thing that I got to point out just from a, from a dramatic perspective is, you know, for everyone that, that, that gets really upset about bitter old man Luke, where else are you going to go if she comes to the island and he's totally peachy keen? Like, not only does it fly in the face of the fact that he took himself into hiding after his temple was destroyed, which Han said, but where do you go? If he's suddenly just accepting when Rey gets there, where does the story go and where is Luke's arc? Where here... Luke comes to understand by the end of The Last Jedi what the meaning of the Force truly is and what it is to truly be a Jedi. Like, he talks about the legacy of the Jedi is failure, and by the end, he recognizes that, no, it's not failure. It's about finding hope in even the most hopeless of times. And there's no way for me to prove this. It's six years ago, basically, after The Force Awakens came out, you could tell on Luke's face, and I said it that night, Luke does not look happy to see her. And they followed through on that storyline because the entire point, he's not, he's not Yoda on Dagobah. He's, I mean, he was, Yoda was, and that this is in keeping with what Yoda did as well is Luke hermited himself away to get away. Like he closed himself off from the force. Yoda didn't even do that, but it just, it's in keeping with what he felt he needed to do. He's not happy to see her. So his instant reaction is going to be, get this lightsaber away from me. So I have forgiven and and I said this in an earlier episode, maybe three three week, uh, three episodes ago. It took me a while to to kind of come to grips with with Luke. I think, in my defense, it was me projecting my desires to see a different narrative for Luke, and to see following the return of the Jedi, the hero continue on that trajectory. So to see him broken, to see him jaded and bitter. And to arrive at that place that we essentially pick up with Obi-Wan, Kenobi, and Yoda, in essence. I know they're not purely the same. It's right. you can't you can't say that all three are the same. All three of the Jedi, after they had experienced such a tragic defeat, hermited themselves, essentially, cut themselves out of the, the situation. But I think it was truly my desire to have my eight-year-old wishes fulfilled to see a Luke reassuming the mantle of the hero and continuing the hero's journey. The issue though, that it took me and guys, again, I was wrong and it took me many years to realize Luke is not the hero of this story. He's not, he's Ray is the hero. This is Ray's journey and not Luke's Luke's has ended. And I think I felt robbed and I, I'm not looking for you to forgive me, but almost maybe understand. I felt robbed that we didn't, we never got to see that chapter of Luke Skywalker, which is why I think I also cried like a baby to see him in the Mandalorian, to see him 
at his prime, kicking so much ass, made me feel like that's what I think I had desired or wanted from The Last Jedi. And I, I understand why Ryan Johnson did it. But I think so many of us, I, I find so much of myself in the upset community that we wanted to see a different version of Luke. It was so hard for us to stomach the Luke a la Obi-Wan and Yoda suffering that defeat and having to come to grips with the fact that he ultimately failed. But how upset would the fan base have been and how upset might you have been if we got through the whole, got through the end of it and then it came back and said, well, Ray's not a real hero. Ray, Ray never, Ray never got her due. You know, it, you know, but here's where you guys are. It's a no win. No, it is a no win situation, which is why we suck as a community (laughs) because to Brian's point, and give me one second to Brian's point. If he had become Obi-Wan Kenobi for Ray and then gotten struck down by Kylo Ren, then what would have everyone have said? Oh, this is just a new hope all over again. We, he wouldn't have won. He would not have won. No matter how he handled it, he would not have won. It's also, and I, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm going to try and not do this too much. This also isn't Ryan Johnson's fault. This is the story that he was handed. This should have been something decided by Kathleen Kennedy and the executive producer team over at Lucasfilm that this is how these three films are going to play out in an overarching narrative. And this is the story you need to tell. This is why Kevin Feige is so dang good at his job because it is producer driven. This is point A to point B. I don't care how you get to point B, but you need to get there. Ryan Johnson, we don't know what he would have done with Luke Skywalker if he wasn't handed the story of permitted Luke on an island here, create this new creature to cover all these puffins because these islands it's beautiful, but there's birds everywhere. So we don't know what decision. The only say that Ryan Johnson had in the end of episode seven is R2-D2 needs to come with Ray to the island because I need this part for my story. It's That's a, all that Ryan Johnson got to have a say in. It's a weird setup. Like the whole the, the, the whole thing is just really weird as a storyteller. If all you're responsible for is your chapter and then you're just handing the baton off. How can you expect there to be any it's kind of real continuity? Yeah, it's, it's, mad yeah it's Mad Libs. And like, my gosh, imagine if Colin Trevorrow had gotten to make Duel of the Fates. But yeah, and, and Ryan Johnson. All the pressure. He was writing his story with Duel of the Fates in mind. This, this is how the story is going to continue. He's like literally The Last Jedi came out and Colin Trevorrow was still the director of, of episode nine. Like, And I, and to your point earlier, uh, Brian, I left the theater so excited about what episode nine was going to be expressly because I was wondering what happens when Kylo Ren is the supreme leader of the First Order. I was so excited to see what was going to happen where he truly is the big bad. Right. And we got robbed of that after, afterward. And I, I thought it would have been so interesting to see what would happen if he was really wrestling with, I got what Darth Vader never did. I'm the guy. It would have been way more compelling. And I just, uh, there, here's what was not fair. Here's what was not fair. And, and if I'm going to defend Ryan Johnson, it would be this. Whereas JJ Abrams basically forced Ryan Johnson's hand and said, here you go. Here's the Mad Libs. Now you go. Ryan Johnson pr- did a pretty damn fine job of leaving the story 
open-ended for whatever the third act was going to be, that director was going to be able to pick up with that and go wherever he decided. And JJ, I will say this guys, JJ did use that opportunity to kind of do some ultimate fan service to, to write some of the things that the community had snapped on about and, and gone crazy. And so I, I can't, I can't fault Ryan Johnson for writing his story, leaving it really open-ended kind of like, you know, what do we have at the last, at the end of empire? We have, but one thing, which is Han Solo has been captured. Holy crap. And other than that, other than that element, the universe was left wide open for return of the Jedi. It's it's Han, Han has been captured and Luke dealing with the sudden realization that the most evil man in the galaxy is his father. Yeah. Where does this go? So, and, yeah, I mean, here, the only thing that we're left that you're truly you would have been theoretically saddled with was. Ben has now become the ultimate evil and completed the turn that in the in the beginning, he didn't know if he could do it. It required him killing his father to 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 do it. He was not quite there yet. And now the dude is so bad that he has killed his superior He's on a quest to destroy everybody. He's not only did he kill his superior, he tricked his superior mentally. Yeah. So I feel like he was, Adam Driver was, was robbed of that moment in the third film and being forced to play second fiddle. Again, there's not, I'm not saying that the rise of Skywalker is perfect. I'm a lot more forgiving of a lot of the stuff in the rise of Skywalker than you are. But I just felt like, at the end of the day, to kind of close the book on the, the Ryan Johnson discussion, I was originally hypercritical of Ryan Johnson, but the guy did what he, he did his job. I think he handed off the franchise in a good spot for whoever that third director was ultimately going to be. And it's not fair. This film, for all that you can say about it, it looks so beautiful. It is so gorgeous. The colors that he uses, the battle on crate is absolutely breathtaking. Uh, the score of this film is amazing. I don't understand why Ryan Johnson, and again, this is coming from the dude. Mike will tell you, if you think I'm feigning this just for the sake of radio, Mike will tell you, no one, no one in this world was more critical of The Last Jedi than I. If Ryan Johnson didn't understand Star Wars fans, he would not have done what he did in Star Wars Celebration in Orlando in 2017, where he went and shook the hand of every single person who waited overnight for the last Jedi panel. Um, and he was genuinely excited to be part of the Star Wars fandom community. If he didn't care, yeah, he wouldn't have done it. And it's sad yeah. too because I feel that the production team has now gotten so concerned with the knee-jerk reaction of the community that they're almost basing a lot of their decisions on it. I'm That's hoping what the Rise of Skywalker was. That's what the yeah. entire movie was. Get the fandom back on our side. And I'm hoping that Dave Filoni and John Favreau, and I think they, I, for the most part, they have the support of the community. So they're in a different spot, but I hope that they never get to that point where they cave, that there's going to eventually be a miss. Let's just face it. Not everything you can create is always going to be the slam dunk. You're going to take some shots and some won't go in. To but some I'm people, that's what Luke Skywalker was at the end of The Mandalorian. I don't, but that's to some people, that's what that's what their thought process was. Cra- that's crazy talk. That's just crazy talk. Anyone who didn't like that moment, I, I, I can't. 
I can't. Yeah. And to, to put a bow on it as well. I mean, what, what is star Wars, right? What, what, what are the, some of the hallmarks of, of, of a star Wars film? There are, there is humor, there is adventure, there are new worlds, there are different aliens, there are space battles, there is there are duels, like all of the things that you could want from a Star Wars film. Yep. Ryan checks them off. There he are new all the planets. Boxes. He did new, new yeah, new new critters, new planets, new characters. Think about how many new characters he he, yep. he introduces in, in Last Jedi. Um Many characters, some of whom never got, you know, never got to their full day. I mean, well, Rose, let's, okay, know, we'll so talk let's, about Rose eventually, but yeah, Rose, Rose is an afterthought in in Rise of Skywalker. So what a perfect Rose. opportunity to transition to Rose Tico. So Rose to get to continue the narrative of elements of the film that are completely and totally polarizing. Rose Tico was attacked in this movie. People went after Kelly Marie Tran so badly that she like swore off social media and like, let, let's face it too, that, uh, Finn, uh, John Boyega has kind of like disavowed the Star Wars community. Like he, he's like, nope, all y'all like screw all y'all because of what you did to Kelly, what you do to me. Like some of these actors were mad and people went after, like people didn't just stop and were like, no, I didn't like Rose Tico, and I thought I didn't like the the story development. Like people went after Kelly Marie Tran, like she was at fault for doing her job as an actress. I mean, it was bad, and she's I was a, great. I was a celebration. I was I was a celebration in Chicago in nineteen when they came out for the Rise of Skywalker panel, and she got like a four and a half minute standing ovation because I that was the only community that was the community's only way to say, Hey, we're sorry for those 3% of people that are complete jackasses. Well, the 3% were like total jackasses. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's where that that's where the concept of toxicity comes from. That when people talk about the toxic star Wars community, it's that like, that's where we get that from. I can't say that Rose Tico is my favorite character in the film. She's, she's not, I, I don't like the, the biggest criticism I have of this film is Canto bite. I, I don't, there's not a ton there that I can, that I can really be eloquent in backing up. No. What I'm frustrated by with the character of Rose Tico is I left the last Jedi. I didn't care for the kiss with Finn. It is what it is. She acted emotionally. What I didn't like is, and we're going to talk about the rise of Skywalker at some point as well, but there is nothing in the rise of Skywalker that Jana did that Rose couldn't have done instead. So instead of building upon the character of Rose, I don't have a giant opinion of the character only because we didn't get that chance to flesh her out more in the rise of Skywalker. So in the last Jedi, I was fine with what they gave me, but I, again, nobody here is going to say how she was treated should have been how she was treated. Absolutely absolutely not. No way. I'm not going to die on the Hill of Rose Tico is, my favorite character of all time. But I just think Kelly Marie Tran is just a great human being. Period. Like she is great too. human being, great actress. Um, uh, the the is is the character the greatest character ever? No, no. But, but she's that's unique. not her fault. Yeah, but that's, that's not the, her. No, fault. That's not her fault. And she's unique. I, I think what's really cool about the Rose character is she's the heart of this movie, though. Mike, she's and the she's heart there. of this movie, and she's also the every person. So, you know, we, through all of these, we have people who are 
royalty or they are royalty but don't realize they're royalty or they just so happen to be the, the greatest pirate in the galaxy. There are all of these folks who are these incredible anomalies and are exceptional members of the galaxy. And then there's Rose, who is an exceptional person. She is kind, she is caring, she is devoted to the cause, and she has she represents, you know, really for the first time, someone who has been part of the fabric of the galaxy through the New Republic and into the rise of the First Order. And she has seen cruelty firsthand, and she has sacrificed her sister, and she is, and also because she's not exceptional, you know, she fangirls out when she yep. when she meets Finn until she, until she realizes that he's deserting. And then because she's so pure of heart, she has to zap him. So and might, I, I, yeah. might I add, in spite of her sister dying, she does re- remain the eternal optimist in what they're doing. And she acknowledges her sister's sacrifice to realize that while I lament and miss my sister, I believe in what she fought for and what I continue to fight for because we believe in this cause. So many people overlook. And here's the issue. The issue is not Rose Tico's character. The issue is Rose Tico was put in a side quest in the story, not allowing her to fully cultivate and develop all of those elements that made her so remarkable as a character, period. That my issue with Canto Bite is that by and large, it remains very inconsequential to the greater narrative of what the film was. That even the mission itself proves fruitless in that they went to go and get this guy who was going to remedy the situation that in fact turns out to be quite a scumbag and then doesn't play a, a, a much of a role in anything. Uh, your, your, your honor, I object. Um, you could make the same logical argument about Lando Calrissian. They go to Lando to get help. They go to Cloud City and make a big deal of how beautiful it is. They go there to make sure everything happens. And what ends up happening? Not only do they not get what they need, they get double-crossed. Han ends up with a bounty hunter. And the only reason that the Falcon gets out of there is because R2 is lucky enough to make it happen. Like, there's... If we... Canto Canto Bite is weird. I I will wholeheartedly admit that Canto Bite is weird. And I attribute it again to... Ryan Johnson actually understanding the Star Wars universe because Canto Bite to me feels like the prequels. Canto Bite feels over the top, a little goofy. Yeah. It feels to me, Canto Bite feels like the Coruscant chase scene in, uh, in, in attack of the clones. It feels like it, it feels like it feels really broad. Um, but I, but I, the idea that it's just some side thing that doesn't have any meaning I, I don't agree with. I, I think that I, I think that one, it reinforces why Finn chooses to fight. It's because he sees that there's a lot of gray out there and that it's and that if, if you're really gonna embrace good, you need to really embrace the good. Get out of the middle, yeah, yeah. You know, get out of the middle. Um I th- I like that it's the only time in the entire series that we see how the upper class lives, because Coruscant for 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 all of its uh, for all of its size, you know, we never we never saw how the elite class lived, um, and I I like DJ. I I like you know as Kevin Smith calls uh, Benicio del Toro's character. I like Space Fenster. I, oh. I I I really enjoy DJ as a character, 
And I, I think it's a bummer that again, he's another one who, who disappears after he makes his deal with the first order. Well, here's, here's what's not fair though. And uh, Brian, give me, just give me 30 seconds. Here's what's not fair. You can't really compare him to Lando. If Lando had been left in empire and that's all we ever got with Lando, uh, 100%. It's not fair. And this isn't on the last Jedi as much as maybe this is a rise of Skywalker debate. The fact that Benicio del Toro never comes back and he then remains that one or slash two dimensional character and we don't get anything else from him. Again, they missed the golden opportunity to further that narrative. And that kind of leaves him hanging out there. And again, that's what makes Canto Bite so fruitless. They didn't pick up an ally. They didn't pick up someone. Lando eventually becomes a member of the cause. That's what's so great about Lando. That's why we go back and look at Empire and we love the introduction of Billy D. Williams in that film because we realize that in the third act, he's going to become such an instrumental part of the rebellion. Benicio Del Toro never has that turn. We don't know that. To go to go against what you said and then to go against what Mike said, to go against what you said is we got Lando out of this by Finn coming to the realization that Finn came to the realization to. DJ doesn't have to be the Lando. Finn comes around and finally is fully convinced to join the rebellion. The story that or the lesson that Finn learns of of the people selling war parts to the good guys and the bad guys, that's a valuable lesson. DJ stands for don't join. He's intentionally down the middle. He's what Finn shouldn't be. And he's what Finn currently is. However, to go against what Mike said of going to Bespin to find Lando, at least they found, they found who they were going for it with Canto bite. We spend a bunch of time just to give Jennifer Aniston's husband a cameo to look like Harrison Ford with the red palm bloom on his, on his lapel. They don't actually ever find Lando when they go to Canto Bight. They end up finding some other random guy to then learn this lesson. Had they come across the Master Codebreaker, who knows what would have what would have happened. So, but to they found that part. I didn't. I didn't really love that. We did yeah, get Broomboy. We got Broomboy, but they all. But they. But they did get a Codebreaker. He just happened to be. You know, he just happened to be a. You know, he just happened to be a Slimo. He was. Right. Listen, he was just a stuck up. Half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder. That's all. Yeah, it was also. It was also. I love the character of Maz Kanata, and I didn't love. I, I I wish she would have actually been just the codebreaker or something like that. I wish she would have been involved a little bit more. Again, to say I I don't I don't I just don't I don't go to bat for the Canto Bite stuff. I can take it. I can take it or leave it. Yeah. Um. Really quick, your take on Mary Poppins Leia. I know that we we're getting close to the hour already. But um, did you take umbrage with Mary Poppins Leia floating through the space? <laughs> I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. When I first saw it, I giggled, but I didn't have a problem with it because it. it she had to. Have, you, you knew she had to have picked up some force tricks along the way. It just it just looked a little silly, but I don't have a problem with her having whatever power with the force you want to call it that, that enables her to do that. Yeah. Leia having the force, I'm all for it. I, I mean, I don't, I don't love the visuals. My, my biggest frustration um, and now frustration being a, a, a broad term with how the film was marketed. Um, one, Carrie Fisher passed away a year before this movie came out. They had said they didn't change anything within the last Jedi around her character. So I genuinely thought that that meant we were going to, see Leia die with at some point within this film because they didn't say they have, they didn't have to change anything. I didn't expect Leia to, to die that early in the film, but 
the way the film was marketed, all the crate stuff being that third act, we saw Leia in the tunnel. Like we knew Leia was, was going to make it out of there. So we were robbed of the drama of that moment. Again, I'm fine with Leia having force powers. It did look a little bit silly visually. I'm willing to overlook it because of just the myth and the legend that is princess Leia. But overall, like I just didn't love how the film was marketed. I think going back, I think they would have removed Leia from the storyline in episode eight. Had they known it, how everything was going to play out now. I mean, that's kind of an awkward sentence to say, but man, I, it, and I don't know. Like, I just, I don't love the Leia stuff we got in the rise of Skywalker. I hate to keep coming back to it. I'm sorry. If I might be so bold as to say, I think that her death, albeit unexpected in that moment, I, I think I would have enjoyed it more to see her die rather than to do the space Mary Poppins, because I think again, it could have been so important to show how evil Ben had really become that not only did he kill his father, but now to complete the turn kills his mother. And dare I say, I felt like this was fan service knowing that Carrie had passed away. It was fan service to not kill her in that fashion. And I mean, like Mike, we're celebrating jaw dropping moments and throwing the lightsaber. To me, this would have been a jaw dropping moment that really would have worked. I agree. I, I mean, I, I wasn't paying. I, again, I was so wrapped up in in the film when I saw it that I wouldn't have had the 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 foresight to be as as clever as Brian and recognizing that crate had to come later, so she would have to survive there. Well, um, Marvel does it. Marvel does it all the time. They put right, the trailer. Right, right. So, but to your to your point, Mark, I think they had two opportunities to stun the heck out of us and give Leia a proper send off. One of them would have been if she went out in this attack and Ben was so cold that he killed both his parents, or I think she would have been better to take on the role instead of Holdo. Holdo maneuvers. Let's do it. I think, I think it would. I think if they, I think if they could have raised the stakes on that and really made it that it was, it was not just her being noble, but it was literally the only way. So like, Holdo, Holdo maneuvers to me, gentlemen, I have no problem with the actual maneuver itself. To me, having Laura Dern perform the act, Mike, and, and this is why I'm marrying the two concepts together, Mary, having Laura Dern execute the move, to me, did not have the shock value other than, holy crap, that would, looked brilliant. It would have been so wonderful to have, Leia, to have Leia's final act save the rebellion and to give them the time to escape that would have presented such a cinematic and climactic end to her life that she didn't want to see anyone else die. She says it throughout the whole movie, the lives lost, the cost, the human toll. So for her to say no more because of me and I'm going to sacrifice myself, bro, you would, you had me at hello. Well, and imagine, uh, imagine also the two shot that they could, you know, the, the, the shot reverse shot they could have had with it where she's about to pull the, push the lever down and Ben sees it a split second before it happens. Like Amazing. imagine that, imagine that she, that he is either pulling the lightsaber with Ray or he's talking to Ray. And all of a sudden you just see his eyes light up and he knows what's about to happen. And you see his heartbreak and you see her heartbreak as she says goodbye to him through the force. I'm there and, pu and pushes the lever down. And then the entire thing is silence except for that giant 
that giant well, ring, ring sound, which is you know like the <sighs> the the sonic charge on steroids. Yeah, from, I'm there for all that. I'm there. I, I get that. chills just thinking about it. It would. I, I think it would have been. I think it would have been absolutely wonderful. And, and with then, that, and with that, you still get the full character arc of Poe Dameron learning his lesson without having to change anything. Because yeah. if she dies when Ben shoots her, Poe never learns the lesson he's supposed to. And then I also think selfishly, it gives Laura Dern, who is an incredible actress, an opportunity to return as Holdo in the third act. And then we actually feel like we get more of her. We didn't get enough Holdo in the second film for me to really care about her. I agree. I I liked Holdo. I thought she was an interesting character. I thought Dern played her well because there's nothing that Laura Dern can't do. Correct. And she just ends up, because she ends up making that sacrifice... It, it, it kind of cheapens her character because you just go, well, why didn't she just let Poe in? Like, what was her damage that she needed to keep Poe Dameron in the dark? Now, granted, Poe's a captain, right? Or commander, like he got demoted, like he's mid-level. So on the one hand, you could say he should be, you know, he's, he's entitled to know only what he needs to know, but he's clearly Leia's right-hand man. Like, why would, that, that, that to me, you know, of all of the, of all of the weird question marks that get held up in the air about the plot of this movie, that's the one that sticks in my craw more than Canto bite or space fuel or any of the other things is if you just told the guy what you were doing, he would have gotten on board and he would have gone gung ho to help your plan. Yeah. People who get so ticked off about space fuel just to very quickly, like kind of debunk this dude, what do you think they were attaching to the fighters before they made the first trench run in the movie. Space fuel has always been a thing. Like people were like, oh, fuel was never an issue. Dude, just because they didn't devote a scene to space fuel before and they kind of left it as a given, they don't need to address everything in an extended dialogue in order to have it exist. When they're like, dude, we're running on empty. We don't have enough to make the jump because we're not fully fueled. And like you've, they maybe have lost a lot of their support ships along the way. Refueling ships have been plucked off. People who knit, this is where then I get, I get a little crazy at people who nitpick the various aspects of the film. And bro, we have a two and a half hour window with which to tell the film. We don't have, and this is where sometimes serials and television is so like, that's why I think Disney plus is the new medium for people because you have 10 hours with which to flush this out essentially, if you have an hour every single week. With a film, these kind of things fall on the cutting room floor and you just have to make assumptions and just, there is a concept with theater and film called suspension of disbelief. Some people need to get back to that concept of it's a space opera. It's not going to be realistic. What was I watching last night? that uh, Linda and I were talking about this. Oh, Wonder Woman 1984. You and watched that again? I watched it again. How crazy Whoa. is this? I watched Wonder Woman 1984. People that, were, people that were so upset. So what did the community pick on with Wonder Woman 18, 1984? Chris Pine resurrected from the dead, having an ability to fly the invisible jet. Not that the dude was resurrected from some stone. They were like, how would he know from World War II to fly an invisible jet? There's an There's invisible effing jet, bro, and he's back from the dead, and you're having you're taking umbrage with the fact that he doesn't know how to pilot it. Like, check yourself. 
<laughs> How about that movie was so bad? That's the biggest problem you have with the movie is that Chris Pine, who's wonderful, flew an invisible jet. Yes. Correct. I hate that movie. <laughs> so, the only, the, the only uh, thing good about that movie is, is, uh, it wasn't that it, bad. It wasn't that bad. Oh, it is that bad. No, I watched it again. That really movie is, <laughs> that movie is bad, but it could be better. It could be better. Oh no, I'm not saying it's a great movie. No, I'm just that the, the best part of that movie is just Din Djarin's, uh, you know, whatever the actor's name is, line of "Life is good, but it could be better." Life Pedro is good, Pascal, but it could be better. Thank you, Pedro oh. Pascal. Thank you for that. Um, so, guys, to finish this one off, let's talk about two of the bigger the bigger issues or the bigger um, ideas in it. Which is first, the idea of her parentage being no parents. You are nobody. They're filthy junk traders. We know how that all plays out in the third act, that it was true. It wasn't a lie. It's just from a certain point of view, they were nobodies in the universe. This bothered a lot of people who wanted to see her have some pedigree. I did not like her becoming a Palpatine. I will be very forthcoming. Uh, I was hoping for a Kenobi and some love child of Obi-Wan Kenobi that we did not know about. Um, did this bother you initially that there was no lineage and there was a non-answer to who she is? When I walked out of the theater on from the force awakens, I fully expected her to be a Skywalker and I was fine with it. I would have been fine with a Kenobi. I was never part of the Palpatine clan. That's the only story that, that if you wanted to tire to anybody that JJ even had had left, I was fine. I mean, if we're going to have a galaxy full of Jedi in the prequels, we got to have a galaxy full of potential Jedi from other family lineages later on. I was completely fine with it. Mike, I was too. Okay. I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was. I thought it was much more interesting that way. You know, they, who else? Could, what else could you do? I mean, that's another one with JJ that where, or, or excuse me, with Ryan Johnson, where everybody thinks, "Oh, he messed it up." Like, what? Look at the position he was put in. Look at the pressure that he was under. I think that no matter what choice was made, I think let's let's say she was Ray Kenobi, you'd still get a whole bunch of people going, ah, oh, when did he ever have a wife? And he was the, you know, he was the white knight of the Jedi, and what would he do wrong? And and if she was a Skywalker, you know, then you'd have people equally going, Oh, you know, where where did that come from? And look oh, they at the daughter. <laughs> and they did. They groaned at the end of the movie. Don't say it. People yelling at screen, don't say it. Fine, yeah. it. Like make Skywalker a, a, a an honorary title at this point. Like I'm I'm cool with that. Like the okay. race Skywalker stuff doesn't bug me either. Okay, but Mike, so again, devil's advocate. Just as crazy as I am your father, how crazy would it have been of you're a Kenobi? <sighs> mind blown that the third mm. act and we could have been like everything I know is just not true. Would not that have just made like the most, that would have been, but it wouldn't have the impact for her, but it wouldn't have the impact for her because she doesn't know who Obi-Wan Kenobi is but right. it would have for us. But listen, we didn't, yeah, but the, but, the, but the whole, but, but, but sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to back up though. Like the whole reason that Luca and your father is such a big deal is because we know who both of them are. But then they could have gotten married and Ben could have taken her last name and he would have been Ben Kenobi full circle. Yeah. But then dun, dun, listen, dun. we, the only thing that we knew about Anakin was the line from new hope. That's it. We we're using our, we're using our bias now that remember now we have, we know who Anakin is now. That line does not hold the same weight that it did when we saw it in the eighties, but he but did Anakin. not know he was a mythical figure to us. Anakin Skywalker was a myth. 
there but, was, but there was Luke no Anakin. Father had been mentioned. Like Luke's father was 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 a storyline that was out there. Like we we didn't get the name Anakin until Return of the Jedi. We didn't know what his name was. But it, it was your fleshed, yeah. But it wasn't fleshed out. He was. I thought it was Empire when he says he's the son of Anakin Skywalker. Well, that got oh. added. That got oh. retconned when yeah. on one of George's ten attempts to continue revising the film. Okay. That's when that's when he put Ian McDiarmid's um, uh, Emperor in. It was the okay. son of Anakin Skywalker. Look, I would have I would have appreciated something better than that. But again, here's where then I will also forgive if Ryan Johnson were going to do something that would pass the baton to the next filmmaker. He left it so wide open that you could even make her a Palpatine. And while it is like completely crazy. The door was left wide open for that. This is the prime example of a decision that should not have been Ryan Johnson's. Correct. This decision should have been made by the top levels of Lucasfilm to decide who their new hero was. Everybody knew at the end of The Force Awakens that the question was going to be, who is she? She just used the Force. She beat Kylo Ren in a lightsaber fight as Starkiller Base was blowing up. They should have known the answer to the question of what is her last name. They didn't have to tell us, but they should have known the entire time and should never have deviated from it. So gentlemen, I guess we should deliver a verdict on the last Jedi officially for the panel. Um, Do you find it guilty or not guilty in terms of being a bad movie? I came in without, I mean, you said we came in biased. It is a great movie. Yeah. I I still think it's a great movie. And I think that, Again, if we're, we're holding it to a burden of proof here, I don't know how anybody could say beyond a reasonable doubt that it's, that it's not a good movie. While my answer may not make either one of you happy, I will say The Last Jedi is a great movie because it has The Rise of Skywalker to complement and complete it. But that is a debate for another day, gentlemen. Uh, the last Jedi is officially fresh as far as we go here at Babu's freaking podcast, but I want to thank you for this episode. And before they come at me, the knives are being sharpened. The vibro blades just got sharpened. You can't see in the studio, but as far as this goes, gentlemen, uh, to be continued when we talk about the rise of Skywalker and take that to court. Thank you so much for everyone for joining us here at Babu's freaking podcast. We hope that you love this podcast and you love spending time with us in our galaxy far, far away. For Mike Chiotti Ruby, Brian Porkinsley, and myself, Mark Valentine, let's just say, may the force be with you always. Always.